time for Grey Matters coming up now. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, I'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening. He apparently was uh, doing the disco show with Cindy Crawford and John Zorn and all sorts of other characters that you can only hear down here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. He tapped on the door. And we started because he was down in the studio. So we're uh, on the fly here during spring break uh, here at the University of Michigan. Actually, I guess it's winter break, technically, because it's still pretty cold out there. But uh, sunny and uh, looks like uh, things are going to start to warm up this week. So fear not. Spring is uh, on the way. Well, somebody that's out of the way is, uh, is the Pope. And I don't mean to be too too sarcastic about this, but I find it amazingly ironic that uh, his his last day in office was the first day of the sequestration. Uh, one wonders if the uh, the Pope is on the federal payroll and uh, had received a furlough notice, uh, because needless to say, uh, those have uh, gone out. Um, I personally don't think that this sequestration is is the end of the world, uh, though I do think most economists are correct in uh, predicting that it will probably lower growth uh, somewhere between uh, 0.2% and 0.5%. So it's going to uh, certainly uh, hurt individuals around the country, and some of the services uh, may indeed be... Uh, affected here and there. Uh, it's interesting that, of course, as we noted last week, the the Pentagon uh, is uh, receiving half of these uh, discretionary spending cuts. And um, in a sort of uh, question-answer series uh, in a recent uh, New York Times, I didn't actually cut this whole article out, but I thought one of the more interesting questions that Jonathan Wiseman was asked about these uh, sequestration cuts. He says, when will people begin to notice the cuts? He says, around March 1st, federal offices must tell contractors, grant recipients, governors, and others how much money they stand to lose. By the end of the month, people will begin to notice changes. The first checks that go out after the deadline uh, to the unemployed, likely around March 7th, will have a substantial reduction, 9.4%. The first checks to doctors and others who care for Medicare patients will also be nicked. The Secretary of Defense notified Congress on Wednesday that uh, employee furloughs were necessary. And by April 6th, 45 days from that notice, layoffs and furloughs will begin in the Defense Department and its enormous civilian workforce. Other furloughs affecting uh, the government include air traffic controllers, meat inspectors, and others that will begin in April and are likely to accelerate as departments struggle to meet savings targets by September 30th. 
September 30th, of course, is the end of the fiscal year. This uh, basically was a concocted agreement uh, between Congress and uh, the president. Uh, it's somewhat irrelevant whether the idea came from uh, Mr. Liu or uh, Boehner or Obama. It frankly doesn't matter. I've always thought that presidents make a big mistake when they get too uh, sort of down in the weeds with these uh, details on budget uh, issues because the budget, of course, is Congress's job. And it was interesting, this past year, Gore Vidal died, and he noted in a rather um, acerbic column that he once wrote that Congress should be abolished because it's really given two powers in the United States Constitution, the power to declare war and the power uh, to tax and spend, and they've essentially abdicate, abdicated uh, both of these responsibilities to the executive branch. And this is why we hear the phrase the imperial presidency uh, frequently uh, when talking about uh, the president of the United States, no matter who he may be, or she someday perhaps. Other sort of interesting stories last week. I'm not too sure if this one-eyed bandit, uh, the so-called jihad prince uh, that was linked to the Algerian kidnapping, is in fact dead. There seems to be some controversy about this. But uh, this is a very interesting story, if true. Uh, the, Chad, the Chadian government is claiming that they killed him. Uh, we don't know. Of course, just a week uh, a week ago, uh, the uh, Obama administration announced that it was planning on setting up drone bases in the country of Niger. And uh, just this past week, uh, John Kerry, in a sort of get acquainted, uh, globetrotting uh, sort of uh, move around the globe, meeting various uh, foreign ministers and whatnot, announced that the American government will now start um, providing uh, non-military aid to the uh, loose coalition of rebels in Syria. The UN uh, this past week has reported that uh, since the start of hostilities in Syria about 22 months ago, about 60,000 people have died. Aid, of course, is fungible to some degree, but I think that it's... Uh, I think that the Syrian situation is very, very different from um, the situation in Libya. And uh, John Kerry, when he was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, actually made a rather pointed public observation regarding that f fact when he was essentially denouncing John McCain and Lindsey Graham's idea of getting directly involved in the military situation in Syria. Syria, of course, is just one more uh, cog in the continuing chaos in the Middle East, in North Africa, that extends all the way into Afghanistan. And, by the way, the uh, U.S. drone uh, base in Niger, uh, and perhaps this, by the way, is why Chad got involved in this uh, killing of uh, the one-eyed bandit, the uh, leader of the kidnapping in Algeria. That, that of course, was a uh, fossil fuel facility uh, 
natural gas, I seem to recall, uh, that was uh, stormed by the Algerian government, uh, resulting in the deaths of uh, many of the hostages. Uh, this uh, character, uh, Belmokhtar, is, Belmokhtar is a, uh, a kidnapper and, and a, apparently a, a professional smuggler. He seems to operate uh, a semi-criminal enterprise in which uh, European uh, tourists in particular have been kidnapped in the so-called Maghreb region of northern Africa, are held for uh, ransom, and several Europe, Western European governments have paid ransom. This is one way he raises money. His other apparent uh, expertise is smuggling cigarettes. <laughs> uh, I didn't know cigarettes were so scarce that one could operate a black market anywhere in the world in that uh, commodity, but uh, apparently he does. Uh, but yeah, on the 23rd of February, uh, the American government announced a week ago last Friday that about 100 American troops will um, are being sent to Niger in West Africa to help set up a new base from which the unarmed predator aircraft will conduct surveillance of the region. I believe we can talk more about the whole drone uh, controversy in some upcoming shows because it seems to be still evolving. Uh, John Brennan's uh, CIA hearings I don't think have been concluded, so that will certainly be uh, another interesting national security issue, the kind of things that we like to cover here down on Gray Matters. Also uh, of particular interest last week was the fact that Bradley Manning, uh, who's on uh, being court-martialed at Fort Meade, Maryland, he's on trial by the military. This has nothing to do with the Obama administration, by the way. This is an old-fashioned court-martial. He pled uh, guilty to several counts of unauthorized uh, leaking of information. And according to the articles that have appeared on the matter, uh, this is uh, Manning's plea to lesser charges is known, quote, as a um, naked plea, quote in here from Scott Shane in uh, Saturday's New York Times, one that's made without the usual agreement from prosecutors to cap the potential sentence in return for dropping charges. Apparently, um, he is still going to be tried on the more serious offenses here. Uh, I am somewhat skeptical that his leaking aided and abetted the, the enemy. I think it certainly embarrassed the United Sta States to some degree. But I think uh, from all of the history that I've read over the years, the American government, first of all, it massively overclassifies documents to begin with. Um, I'm very skeptical, by the way, of Manning's claim that he wished to, spent, and I'm quoting him here, to spark a debate about foreign policy. Um, he was, uh, basically, he got into the military, you know, I've read a couple of books on, about Manning, and uh, Manning strikes me as a sort of complicated, troubled young individual who never should have joined the military to begin with. Uh, I think he joined kind of out of a weird psychological desire to um, please his father, who apparently was in the military. Uh, he was a very small man, and apparently a boot camp was very rough on him. 
He was also a, uh, admittedly, uh, he was a homosexual and had a sort of an ongoing relationship with some college student that was loosely connected to a group of computer hackers in the Boston area. Um, he also seemed to have some sexual identity problems, a penchant for um, possibly um, Tourette's syndrome or something. Apparently, he lost his cool a number of times and, in fact, had served some time in the brig for yelling at superior officers. So I think he was a troubled person in the military from day one. I don't understand why he joined. I don't understand why he stayed. And I certainly don't buy the argument that uh, his leaking uh, was going to spark a um, foreign policy debate. Uh, the foreign policy debate, for the record, preceded our invasion of Iraq. There can be no question that um, <clears throat> some of the stuff that he leaked um, exposed uh, some of the atrocities and uh, horrors of war. Uh, that uh, the American military uh, w w were engaged in in Iraq. But um, I don't see how uh, releasing these documents in 2009 uh, really contributed to the foreign policy debate. The foreign policy debate at that point was basically a debate about how fast we were going to leave Iraq. Uh, even the Bush administration had already agreed to a so-called troop withdrawal from Iraq as it left office. So I think that the foreign policy debate is somewhat uh, specious. And needless to say, um, Julian Assange, who of course is, was the sort of co-manager of WikiLeaks, is uh, holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Assange uh, has called uh, Manning a political prisoner. Um which I don't think he is. Uh, and Assange, of course, is holed up in the Ecuadorian, uh, Ecuadorian embassy in London because he is facing uh, rape charges in uh, Sweden. And Sweden is attempting to get the British government to extradite him to Sweden. Um, Assange argues that uh, America is behind this, but... Uh, once again, I'm somewhat skeptical of that theory because Sweden um, is, is actually historically one of the most neutral countries in the world. Um, I believe next to Switzerland, they're the country that's not been in a war the longest. I think the last time they were actually in a war was in the 18th century, and it involved Prussia and Russia. And uh, I think the Swedes um, got out of the war business thereafter. They, in fact, were even neutral during World War II. Um, so I don't think they're working at the behest of the Obama administration. My own opinion of the whole WikiLeaks thing in general is that it's quite a lot of exaggeration by vested interests here. Um, I read the, I've read a couple of books on WikiLeaks. One was essentially a sort of a, a biography about Bradley Manning and his predicament um, when he was uh, in the brig in uh, Quantico, Virginia, in the solitary confinement. Uh, military prosecutors in the 
judge at the tribunal there had a number of uh, hearings on uh, whether or not this solitary confinement was um, appropriate or not. Um, I think that there is ample evidence that uh, Bradley Manning was suicidal and that he was put in solitary confinement to some degree for his own protection. But uh, reasonable people can disagree about that, and certainly more facts will come out. Uh, Manning will obviously be spending some time in prison. Uh, what he's already pled guilty to, he has subjected himself to 20 years in prison. And he, is, as I pointed out, still has um, the more serious charges to deal with. And it doesn't seem that he's going to plead guilty there. Um, the judge, uh, a Colonel Denise R. Lind, is um, going to continue the hearings uh, here at some point. And Manning admitted on Thursday in court that he provided 700,000 government documents to WikiLeaks, the anti-secrecy group, in the most extensive leak of confidential and classified material in American history. Sounds ominous. Uh, Bill Keller's uh, sort of edited book of the New York Times' role in the WikiLeaks story is rather interesting. I've read it. Um, he assigned, I believe, four to five of his top editors to go through the documents. The problem with the WikiLeaks document dump was that they weren't vetted. They were sort of dumped onto the Internet. And uh, there were, um, shall we say, collaborators in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, civilians in those countries that worked with the American government, uh, either as translators or uh, intelligence sources, informants, whatever you want to call it, sort of a hodgepodge of, of roles of some of these people. Some of these people were named directly. And this is where the New York Times sort of drew the line on what they were going to publish. The New York Times, the men, uh, the Guardian from England and Der Spiegel in Germany uh, collaborated in publishing edited documents uh, of the WikiLeaks. And some of the stories were kind of interesting. Uh, there was... Uh, Diplomatic cables might have actually been the most interesting thing in there. I, I, I don't know that the we learned anything about the military uh, situation of, of, you know, specifically, because I, I think that the military, uh, despite uh, embedding and whatnot, has been fairly extensively covered uh, both in Iraq and Afghanistan and the role that we're playing there. I would, of course, urge the president now, given the fact that uh, the sequestration is upon us, to, in fact, accelerate our withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's a perfect excuse to do so. He can cite uh, financial necessities. Um, the court-martial, for the record, by the way, apparently will begin on June 3rd with 141 prosecution witnesses. So Manning is uh, facing some serious challenges ahead. And, you know, I, I don't really buy into the argument that he knowingly gave uh, intelligence to the enemy. This, this is one of the more serious charges. I guess he's apparently being charged under the Dubious Espionage Act of 1917. 
something that I'm sort of a bit of a an a amateur expert on because of its connection uh, to the uh, Alger Hiss case and Whitaker Chambers and Richard Nixon and whatnot. A couple of weeks ago when Jim and I were uh, talking, by the way, I wanted to point out today is the 40, uh, 80th anniversary of the inauguration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, 80 years today. But um, <clears throat> 40 years ago this weekend, uh, we can see that President Nixon uh, was beginning to confront some serious problems with the Watergate uh, situation. And uh, we were uh, discussing a couple of weeks ago about uh, conversations that Nixon began having in early March with John Dean and Richard Kleindienst, who was the Attorney General at the time, and H.R. Um, Haldeman, as the cover-up uh, cover was beginning to really be beginning to unravel on the president. And some of these uh, conversations are kind of fascinating re reading. Um, for instance, on March 1st at 10.35 in the morning, he has about an eight-minute conversation with John Dean, who's uh, in the Oval Office, and he's getting a kind of an update on... Um, the situation invo involving L. Patrick Gray and uh, the fact that L. Patrick Gray at the time had been named acting director of the FBI and uh, he had replaced Hoover, who had died uh, officially on May 2nd of 1972, but perhaps he actually died on May 1st. Uh, they wouldn't want uh, J. Edgar Hoover's official death day to be a May Day now, would they? Uh, so uh, his official date of death is May 2nd. In any case, uh, talking to Dean, he's interested in um, Dean having uh, Dean and Kleindienst read, read the his case. He says, uh, Kleindienst doesn't read to Dean. Kleindienst doesn't realize that. He doesn't realize it's bad. Is Kleindienst, did you tell him what happened in the Hiss case? Dean says, I did. And I said I'd be sending over that chapter on the Hiss case out of Nixon's book, Six Crises. Well, God damn it, tell him to get the book and read it. The point is, if you just go there, you could find out. We had no cooperation from the FBI, none. Dean tells the president, Mollenhoff, an aide, wants to use what you said about executive privilege then. Nixon, I didn't attack it then. That's right, because it wasn't the White House people we were after. Dean says, well, I recently got to the excerpt uh, of the record of your speech, and I think we'll be able to very clearly distinguish, particularly if Ziegler... He was Nixon's press secretary. He gets a question from Mollenhoff as to what you were talking about then vis-a-vis -vis now. Well, I would say uh, we ought to say to get cooperation from the FBI and the Justice Department, which we're entitled to, and getting none. You see, we weren't getting, we weren't asking for cooperation from the White House. We were getting, we were asking for cooperation of the Justice Department, and they put out an order. 
Now, <clears throat> all of this, of course, is relatively false characterization of the uh, situation. Uh, Nixon tells uh, Dean to go find a copy of the speech that he gave, as he puts it, on the Hiss case that I made in 1951 or 1950 in the House of Representatives. Well, in fact, uh, Nixon did give a speech in the House of Re Representatives. It was in early February of 1950 on the Hiss case. And within days, and I think it might have even been the next day, but it was certainly within a couple of days, um, <clears throat> Joe McCarthy decided to up the ante on Nixon, <laughs> and he gave his famous uh, State Department speech in Wheeling, West Virginia, to the Republican Women's City Party or some, some such organization. And if you can picture the movie The Manchurian Candidate, where... Um, Lawrence Harvey, on brainwashed instructions, shoots a guy. Uh, there's a bunch of military guys up. And the the speech that they're giving are, is this is this like garden women's garden party or something, and it's just a fascinating uh, similarity to the February 9th speech, in which Joe McCarthy claimed that he had uh, 205 card-carrying members of the Communist Party. Um, you know, in his in in his hands, and that they were in the State Department, and of course uh, there weren't 205 communists working in the State Department. There probably weren't any. <laughs> there might have been one or two that were fellow travelers, but all of the people, as uh, historians have pointed out, Joe McCarthy didn't actually catch a single communist, uh, but he ranted and raved about communism for several years. And even went so far as to accuse George Marshall of communism. Uh, he, of course, was off of his rocker. But uh, Nixon and Kiss uh, Nixon and McCarthy began competing for who could be the biggest red baiter from that point on. So it's fascinating that Nixon is anxious for Dean to go get him a copy. Well, within minutes of this uh, conversation with Dean. Uh, the president of the United States apparently calls Kleindienst uh, because this tape is from the Cutler book and it's the White House telephone. Um, and the preface to this is March begins a crucial two month period for Nixon. The White House's vulnerability are about to be exposed, triggered by L. Patrick Gray's confirmation hearings for the FBI. Attorney General Kleindienst reports on the nomination progress. Given Gray's yeoman service in trying to suppress the FBI investigation of Watergate, Nixon probably had no choice but to name him. Subsequent revelations in his confirmations hearings provided at the Senate Select Committee with further avenues of inquiry into the administration's cover-up activities. Nixon betrays a certain nostalgia for the days when presidents controlled or thought they controlled the FBI. Now, parenthetically, I should happen to add here that L. Patrick Gray and John Dean, uh, L. Patrick Gray died several years ago, but over Christmas during 1972, L. Patrick Gray and John Dean destroyed the contents of E. Howard Hunt's safe, contents that John Dean described as, quote, political dynamite. Um, one version of this uh, destruction of evidence is that th this material was burned in a uh, fireplace in Patrick Gray's home in Connecticut 
The other one was that they threw it into an icy river. Uh, I don't know what the the precise details of this uh, political dynamite is, but we do know that uh, E. Howard Hunt, to paraphrase Gore Vidal, the master forger of state papers, had forged um, documents trying to implicate President Kennedy in the assassination of President Diem. Diem, of course, died in a coup d'etat on the 1st of November of 1963, and John F. Kennedy himself was assassinated three weeks later in Dallas, Texas. Uh, John Dean is still alive, and he's become a fairly... uh, I would call him a fairly a principled critic of the development of the modern Republican Party. He's very dismayed. And he even wrote a book during the Bush administration's Worse Than Watergate. Well, of course, in this conversation with Kleindietz, Kleindietz knows exactly what to tell uh, Nixon. He, uh, he, he, uh, he, he, he tells him that I've, uh, that I've read the, the, the chapter on Hiss, and um, which is always a good way to butter up Nixon. And Nixon says, uh, at the time, that's where I covered it in my speech at Congress. That's where I said it. At the time that we got into the case, Truman issued an order to Tom Clark, the Attorney General, and to Hoover and the FBI, and they were not to cooperate. In the entire course of the investigation, the FBI closed its doors completely. Now, he's talking here about, Nixon's talking about his role in HUAC. Needless to say, this is all false. Uh, Nixon was being spoon-fed information from the FBI. Uh, there are some instances, there are some suggestions that it may have been direct through an agent, uh, possibly William Sol- Sullivan, possibly uh, D- uh, Mr. Ladd, but certainly through a character called Father Cronin, who is not to be confused with Father Cronin. Coughlin. Father Cronin was another Catholic priest. Uh, Father Coughlin was the radio priest who was a vociferous critic of FDR in the mid-30s. Father Cronin was giving Richard Nixon uh, information uh, on Whitaker Chambers and Alger Hiss during the 1948 HUAC hearings. Well, more on that in upcoming shows. Thanks to Andrew for engineering this evening. You have been listening to Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I just saw Jerry Mack, uh, so he is up raring to go down in the studio with Yazoo City Calling. So uh, do stay tuned and be aware that we will be covering more uh, Richard Nixon uh, taped conversations from this critical period of early March 1973 when uh, the cover-up gets uh, going in full gear. We're talking about cash. We're talking about buying silence. And Richard Nixon was up to his eyeballs in all of it. Good night. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. 
They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. And I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. 